0: taking you from where you are right now to where you want to be one conscious step at a time. Dorsey Pruder, Sal DeGuardia. This is Rebuilding Me.
1: Welcome back. I'm Dorsey Pruder.
0: I'm Sal DeGuardia. This is Rebuilding Me and today on The Big Show. So excited to have one of our good friends that we've met in and around the community in the NFT space, uh, fellow V friends, holder, Alyssa Jordan. Welcome to hey. the program today, Alyssa. <laughs> so glad to have you Alyssa. here. And as you know, you know, a lot of our conversation revolves around taking you from where you are to where you want to be uh, overcoming struggle grief pain all that good stuff and um, certainly so thankful that you're here and, and willing to share a few things with us and hopefully give some people some hope as far as what's possible right that's really the big punchline is listen we're we all come from different backgrounds different and so trite but we all come from we all have our own story <laughs> but at the same time we know it's tough sometimes it's just tough mm-hmm. to figure out like what does the light at the end of the tunnel look like so thank you for uh, for just being and an encouragement to me personally, and then also for the many people that you're going to hopefully impact today. So, thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Um, and I'm just glad I could get
1: myself together enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know this was really short, one notice, but I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Oh. Sometimes the short notice is the best because, um, then you're not in your head and trying to be all you know, oh, I'm completely scripted. unprepared. Perfect. We yeah,
0: love it when you're screening. unprepared. Yeah. No filter. That's, we're just ready to rock and roll.
2: Have
1: you ever known me to have one? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Wither it out unnoticed.
1: Yeah. Well, I am selfishly excited to have you here, Alyssa, because we've chatted a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. texting, and I know just a minuscule, tiny little piece of your story and um, the fact that you understand the family dynamics that um, I serve or Sal and I serve as professionals and and also from a legal perspective, which also is an interesting place that you have played. So for me, selfishly, I'm a little giddy about like what got you involved in that space? Um, How did you get to where you are today? And um, so I'd like to unpack that with you. I think I'd first like to start unpacking, if it's okay with you, Sal and Alyssa, just a little bit about your story in from the perspective of your family dynamic. So I don't know if it's your family, your husband's family, but I understand a little bit that you've experienced a family dynamic known as alienation, or you've experienced emotional cutoff. Mm -hmm. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So my situation was this, my mother, um, was raped by Mm -hmm. my father while they were married and I was conceived as a result of that. Um, I don't know what just happened there. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like it was like low power. I'm gonna have to charge in a minute. Um, but my mother was, you know, I was conceived in a very traumatic way. Um, my father, um, who has passed away, um, uh, had was uh, had had abused her physically up until she was about eight and a half months pregnant with me. And um, that was so violent that my mom left with me and my other sister who was from my mom's first marriage. She left and went and had me lived with family. till she had me um, initiated divorce, you name it. So when I was a few months old, my name was changed from my father's last name because my mom changed it to protect us. And we moved out to another state. Um, So from a very, from a very young age, I, I didn't have a dad. I grew up all of my life saying, I don't have a dad. Um, but I knew one existed. I knew a name of a man who was in fact my father, but it wasn't whatever, but that, so that type of like, that's a different level of alienation, which I can get mm-hmm. into like a, into a little bit differently. Um, so as I grew up, I didn't have a dad. Well, my mom fell on hard times when I was, you know, a tween. And, um, (laughs) she was injured at work and lost her job. We had to go on welfare. Uh, we were, we were broke. She had to go on welfare. And in the state of Pennsylvania, when you go on welfare, if there's a father on the birth certificate of any child in the house, you must pursue child support. So immediately we had a safety and security concern, um, out the gate, but for financial safety and security in order to get any type of assistance, it's what she had to do. Right. So at that point, my mom shared with me, Oh, by the way, you have a half sister. Um, you have grandparents, you have aunts and uncles. I didn't connect us with them through your life. Cause I didn't know what relationship they had with your father. So <laughs> this is all these people exist now. So I was wow. like, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So I started meeting grandparents, a half sister, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old. Um, and the only reason that happened is because he had cut himself off from that, from the whole family. He was a, he was a, an alcoholic. Um, likely mentally ill, obviously not well person. Um, so, I mean, he hated his own mother and, um, It very strange thing and uh, not common for the rest of the children in the family either. He was one of five. So it was, it was just a very strange situation. So during that time though, I remember being a kid thinking like, this is the time. This is when he's going to realize that he gave up the one thing that was so important and he's going to come back and he's going to be like, Oh, my daughter, you're my daughter. You know, and I was going to have that, dad daughter moment of, you know, finally, I have a dad, you know, type of thing. And I remember going through that thinking the closer that I was getting to the rest of the family that eventually he'd have to see like, he's missing out on so much, um, proceeded through and like met my half sister and had a relationship with her who he had raised. Um, and instead of him having that moment with me, he cut her off. Mm, so it was like a very interesting line in the sand he had drawn about and 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 trying so hard like as a kid to like as an adult hindsight being 2020 to look back and say oh that didn't have anything to do with me it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it doesn't like you take it personally um as a kid even as an adult as an adult now you know it's it's very strange to like look back and be like how the hell couldn't you take that personally
1: I have a question um, for you. Sure. Is the half sister older? She's older than you or younger? She, she, she was older. Older. Um, okay. And she was yeah. with the previous relationship before he met your My mother. My father's first marriage. Okay. So you have a half sister from your father's first marriage and a half sister from your mom's first marriage, and then you're the product of the marriage. And then, yeah. um, you, connected with your father's family in your tween years and your half sister. Mm-hmm. And how much older is she than you? Um, she was about seven years older than me. She, okay. So quite a bit older.
2: Yeah. She okay. died of a drug overdose last summer.
1: Oh, oh. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. Lots well, of, I mean, it also makes
2: sense as we get through. <laughs> through the but, Yeah. Um,
1: but, yeah. You, you know, can see it.
2: Yeah. So you know, I meet her, we have a relationship for a while, but then I quickly started to realize that that was a toxic relationship too, because she was, she had a different life. Mm-hmm. Um, and by, at that point she was in her twenties and living, um, her own life. She mm-hmm. had several children. Most of those children she wow. lost to the state because she couldn't take care of them because she tested positive for drugs. Every time she went to the hospital, she just lived a different life and it wasn't a life that I was remotely mm-hmm. used to living with a single mom, even, you know, like, it just wasn't, that wasn't the life I had. Um, so I was, I was just like that. I don't, I don't know even what to do with that. So I had disconnected from her for a while too. But what's interesting about all of it is, you know, when, when my father passed away. And when was that? Di- um, oh God, it was probably four years ago. Okay. Four or five years ago. Um, when he died he died denying me his child
1: oh so he never accepted you as his child
2: he told people that my mom was this plus and so that I wasn't his kid he was offered paternity test because he he had to pay child support right? Right. Um, he denied paternity tests wouldn't take them you know what kids paid money
1: so Um, you never really then reunited with your dad no he died and had and had specifically disinherited me. Well, I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. So Okay. Yeah, I think your mic
0: fell on your on
1: How's your that? Yeah, that's better. Is that better? Yeah. Um sorry, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt your your so that's he okay. died and he um never claimed you as his biological daughter. Okay. No. As his daughter. Interesting. And um and his and then your sister passed away. Do you still yeah. have contact with his parents and things of that nature? Or, uh... They have also passed. Everyone's so passed. The, okay. the people that I'm still connected with
2: are aunt, aunt, one aunt I still talk to and some cousins. I'm, you know, okay. I still have a good relationship with some cousins, but it's really always been sort of, Separate from the fact that he even existed in the world because right. he was so disconnected from that family. So it's not been really like super familial, that connection. It's been more of like, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: just a little different. It has a little different than like a
1: familial connection. And then um, let's we- fast forward it to today. Yeah. You, and then, or, or you then got married and you have children or one child.
2: Yeah. So I got married at 21. I got married okay. very young. Maybe. Okay. <clears throat> and well, I got married at 20. Um, and then got pregnant a month after I got married with my son, um, he's now 21. Okay. Um, and then we divorced when my son was, uh, four. Got it. So we had, I had gone through a divorce in my mid twenties, super (laughs) mature about it. Right. So, so mature. Not really. I was so like, then, "Am I detecting sarcasm there, Melissa?" Yes, uh, okay, sarcasm. all right. So, I went through a divorce myself. Um, At that point, I was doing social work. I was, you know, at a different place in my life. At that point, I just graduated from. I was, you know, in midway through my master's degree. Um, you know, still trying to figure out life. Obviously, because I had no idea what I was doing. I had a four-year-old kid. I was a single mom of a four-year-old.
1: Um, Did you, you share know, custody with the dad?
2: We did. Um, okay, so my son went to his dad's every other weekend. Did I share hindsight being 2020? 20, 20, did we share custody? We should have absolutely not. Um, you know, but it was what, what we had and it was what we did. It was kind of like a standard at the time. Honestly, right. um, you didn't hear a lot about 50, 50 custody. It was like right at the cusp of when 50, 50 custodial ranges really became more common. Uh-huh. Um, that's when the courts and everyone started shifting from this conception that moms always get the kids and the dads get every other weekend. And you know, that's that. Mm-hmm. That was really the beginning of that. Um, but we didn't really have like a big battle or anything. It was pretty much, you know, I had a, I had, I had a lawyer. He didn't, I had the, it written up that it gave us flexibility to manage it the way we needed to. And we agreed to it one way. And that's just how we did it for the duration of uh, of our marriage. So uh, overall, or,
0: pretty healthy, able to co-parent an agreement and play well-ish.
1: I mean, you co-parented at the level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I co-parented at the level that I was at in my mid-20s with course. a four-year-old. Yeah. Right. You know, um, and it got better. Like that's that said, it got better. And I think that's a big part of the story too, that, that, that I, that, that fits well here. So me and my ex didn't get along great. I didn't get along with his new, um, his new wife. Um, I had a conception in my mind that she had broken up my marriage even though it was a broken marriage to start with the, the hindsight. And then I was just like, she broke up my marriage.
1: Um, I want to dig um, in there for a second. I find, yeah. so I find your perspective so interesting because, and I'm just going to dive in if this is okay. Yeah, and um, there's some threads of pathology in your family that are evident, right? Um, you were raised by literally by a single mom. Dad wasn't around, um, The story that you've been told, I was a child, you know, I was conceived out of rape. um, That imprints on you negatively, right? In your unconscious mind of worthiness. Oh, I
2: only found out that part in the last five years. Let me be clear. Interesting.
1: Interesting. And yeah. still something that's still being imprinted, even if not being told, right? Because if that's right. mom's belief, then that gets passed in utero all the way through, even if she doesn't speak it out. And mm-hmm. um, and then you get married, you repeat the pattern, you get married young, you get divorced. But interestingly, you facilitate a shared parenting arrangement especially in your mid twenties, which is rare. Um, and in the midst of a mindset or a belief true or not, doesn't matter that this woman broke up your marriage. Right. So you're still out Everything is outside. You're blaming everyone outside of you, mm-hmm. which is normal. This isn't like, look what Alyssa's is like, duh, everybody does this oh. right when we're young. And then um, I didn't, I didn't
0: do it. Of course, not you.
1: You're perfect, Sal. And of um, course, course. and then you get remarried, right? Because you're remarried eventually. Eventually, get remarried. So most of your son's life, or part of your son's life, you're raising him with a co-parent that you don't like, and um, and his new spouse or girlfriend or whatever who you also don't like. Blaming her, and somehow even in that scenario scenario you still move through that which is hard to do and um and i don't know if this is true or not so you have to but you didn't alienate your son from his dad which would have been very easy to do because you have the fingerprinting of an alienated parent or an alienating parent, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what you experienced. And you even said something a few minutes ago. Well, I shared parenting, even though I shouldn't have. So there's even still this mindset of like, oh, him. And yet somehow, Alyssa Even in that belief system, you still rose up out of the rubble and shared your son with this man you don't particularly care for, who's his father, who he loves, despite, you know, how you feel about him. And same thing with you and your dad, despite how your dad is showing up. And I know because I have a I have a pathogenic mom too. the desire for the rejecting parent like we do even into adulthood backflips to, you know, well, maybe if I do this and maybe if I turn my skin inside out, he'll love me. And maybe it's this and coming to this place because I heard you say, well, I know it's not me. It's him. And still, because as children, we want our parents to love us. There's still this thing like well, what if I do this? And um... I I honestly think it was
2: being rejected as a child that Mm. fostered a sense in me of never wanting my child to feel that way. Yeah. So I never wanted to keep him from his dad. And I think here's the thing. his Dad was never a bad person. His dad was never a bad parent. I had no reason. So like for me, it was, I wanted my son to always feel loved and accepted by both of his parents. And that could only happen if I facilitated the relationship right. uh, to the extent that I could. So, and I don't think that that's the connection I made in my mid twenties, obviously, no, but, but you, you did know, make and, it
1: eventually. But I, I, made, I made
2: it <laughs> enough. And yeah. it was funny because the, we didn't get along at first. Um, I'm proud to say that the way this story ends is I'm very, my husband now and my ex-husband are very close friends and I am one of my, one of my best friends in the world is his wife, and I actually work for her.
1: Is that the same woman? Yes. Wow. So full <laughs> circle. Amazing. You went from your lower self mindset of blame outside here and something shifted into you to where now your current husband accountability. accountability. Yeah. Something shifts. So, so I want to dig into that. I want to unpack that. What happened because most people don't they, they don't elevate out of that, right? They, they want to keep everything out here because it feels better, right? It's like, Oh, it's their fault. Well, it's, but it doesn't. It doesn't. That's a misconception. It's yes. It,
2: yes, it feels like shit. Yes, it feels like shit. angry all the time. Yes. Being pissed off at someone all the time, blaming someone else for like your own misery. It's because you're focused on the wrong thing. That's 100% right. 100 of the time. So what shifted for me? So meeting yeah, my husband shifted. now, Ron, shifted for me a big deal. Um, I met him when my son was nine. Mm -hmm. Um, turning 10 years old. So it was about five and a half years of me and my son by myself, Mm -hmm. go navigating those difficult waters of, you know, co-parenting, especially since we had moved about an hour away, navigating, you know, him having more children, um, trying to co-parent with, with his wife at that time. And we had a lot of underlying crap that we never talked about. That was that we were working through. She was young too. We talk about it today. Like neither one of us were the best versions of ourselves at that time. <laughs> so like, whatever, like, and we probably we hate each other. And we had no idea why, because we love each other. Now we
1: genuinely love one another. Fine um, line. It's a fine line between love it and is, hate.
2: It, it is. And, and here's the thing that, that I think I recognize Ron and I, when we started dating was going through the divorce, a divorce himself and his daughter was quite young. She was only 18 months old. Wow. And I had, I had this overwhelming sense of purpose in me at that time for his experience to really learn from the mistakes I had made in my own experience so that his little girl didn't have to experience any of that tension so so that we could have some peace because we intended very early on to share a life together. And something that was really important to me after having been divorced for as long as I was and by myself was that peace, maintaining my peace was so important. Mm. And a big part of that was it had nothing to do with me. And it was about putting our children first. And here's the thing. People say that all the time. I'm putting my child first. Mm -hmm. I'm putting my child first. There is no you in that sentence. Mm -hmm. My children come first really means that your selfish anger your selfish need to blame or feel victimized or have a justification for having a shitty attitude or <laughs> a terrible mindset—you have to acknowledge, accept, and hold yourself accountable, and understand that that's all selfishness. And unless your children are truly in a safety issue where their safety is at risk, your other your ex, their other parent deserves to have the same love and time yeah. with them as they do with you. Right. And once you like kind of can really see where the selfishness is, it doesn't mean that you still don't feel selfish. Right. I was just going to say, it's not that you don't
1: have those feelings and it's probably not that you don't. That's right. You don't react to them. I say this. We just did a coach training and and I said to the coaches, I'm like, listen. Sometimes, well, we all have thoughts, right? So you may be thinking something, and then it may spark a feeling that's just also based on your head trash. And then there's an action that you can take or not take. And at any moment, when the feeling comes in, you can check yourself right before you wreck yourself to say, well, wait a second. Is this real? Right. And do. And even if it's real, what I'm feeling, do I need to act or react on it? And, you know, I want to commend you, Alyssa, because knowing your your childhood experience, it's so easy. The dogs agree. It's so easy to be pathogenic it's easy to do the other thing right to justify well, it bad instinctual. it does it's and it,
2: animalistic and instinctual yes. to throw yourself in front of it and
1: yes just,
2: you know just react so poorly so that's right I've seen this even when i was in practice when i practiced law like i you know i didn't practice law for long because i hated it <laughs> you were um, a family law
1: attorney right
2: I did I did general practice with the oh, that came through our door was was family. Mm-hmm. Um and lots of child support hearings, lots of custody and divorces and things like that. And I set as a standard when I started practicing that I'm not going to be the person that's gonna take a bunch of money to go fight to keep kids from a parent that doesn't deserve to be kept from. Mm-hmm. And many people walked away. Uh and I was that's probably why I'm not a rich lawyer. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> probably why I do what I do. That's probably why I'm a compliance and ethics professional now in the corporate world, you know, it's because that, that's not for me. That's a standard that I set because it was so important to me for when my, for my stepdaughter and the relationship that we cultivated with her mom. Oh my God, I'm going to New York city with her mom on Saturday. I'm taking her there for her birthday. That's amazing. Okay. Green. But
0: Which touches on, Well, I'm going go ahead. Sorry.
2: It, what it boils down to is this: you put the selfishness aside, you don't behave in selfishness, you work on that. But 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 the next step too is kind of an acknowledgement process, and that mm-hmm. was what it was for me—an acknowledgement for me that I didn't have to hate her mm-hmm. because once I realized that I was like, we have an awful lot in common. We're not the same. Don't get me wrong. We have we have like similar, similar humor. We have similar interests. We have similar. I started being able to recognize the things we had in common. And it was like, oh, my God, if I hate her, I got to hate myself, too. I'm like,
1: that's
2: not acceptable. So it was really acknowledging a lot of the things we had in common and building a relationship off of that. That didn't start out organically at first. It was more like when we had forced interactions, like a custody exchange and stuff like that, bringing something up and being pleasant. Mm -hmm. that was something in common. But you know what? That's how all
1: relationships start. That that is. And the most important thing you had in common was your son, the love you have for your son and um, the ability to bridge the gap. And I I say this to clients that we work with and not resent it. Right. It's like, listen, you could build the bridge right? And create the space of unconditional love for your child, which requires you to do the work or you could just be in resentment, right? You can sit in judgment and and blame and, oh, woe is me, the victim mindset. Or just
2: be jealous of the fact that someone else is loving your child. Right. I mean, that's that's a whole other thing, too. Like, I don't know where we got in this world where we're angry that other people love
1: our kids. Like, they can't, like, there's a limit on how much they you get. I know. know. That happens. It's, it's abundant. It's we, we talk about abundance on our podcast all the time and all the time and how important it is that, you know, unconditional love is truly love without conditions. And the truth is love is abundant. And so it's not that, that we should say, well, this person can't love you as much as I love you. It's like, God, somebody else loves you. That's amazing. And this is a great opportunity, right? This other person gets to show you a different perspective, right? A different way to show up in the world, a different way to receive love. And, um, you know, you said it earlier, you, in your, uh, your child's dad, you're not the same. You're very different people. And, um, you know, denying your son the opportunity to have a relationship with his father, um, it actually backfires, right? There's a point in life where it ends up backfiring on the parent that prevents that from happening. And it's also a conscious effort. I know because I co-parent with somebody that I didn't particularly care that much for either. And so, and the desire to say, (laughs) God, it'd be so easy to just cut that tie and make that, you know, because he could make it very easy, but to make the conscious effort every day to ensure that my kids had a relationship with their dad and to teach them how different people love differently and how to receive love for him, make them better people, right? It makes them better humans in relationship as they're now in their 20s, like your son and, and really creates the container of unconditional love in the world. So Alyssa, I just want to acknowledge like that work that you've done in your family and not only just in your Family unit, but the work that you were doing, even as a family, as an attorney, um, the impact that that has just out into the world is massive. Even if you never speak to the people who say no to you ever again, you planted a seed in their consciousness, right, in their mind, in their family, in their life that. It doesn't have to be chaos and, and struggled, right? And, and you can create cooperation even in situations where the people that are co-parenting don't like each other that much, or they're very different people. So I just want to acknowledge that you came from a place that would have been very easy for you to be an alienating parent. And instead, you flip the narrative. And even in flipping the narrative, there's still that feeling of like, ugh, he and now you took it a step further and you've built a bond. You've built a bridge between you and your son's father and his current wife that says to your son, it's OK to receive unconditional love from all of us. Yeah, it's abundant. And, well,
2: and we've also become a united front in that yes. way. So like he's in the military now. Um, we all go together to see him and rent an Airbnb Beautiful. and stay together so that he doesn't have to split his time. Um, not having so your kid feel like they have to literally divide themselves in half yeah, to be able to enjoy their family.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I, I just can't say like, I, I thinking about what that would look like for him. Yeah. Um, and try, or even my, my stepdaughter to have to my, I call her my bonus daughter. I never call myself daughter, but even for her to have to, um, to have to feel like she can't have all of us at a soccer game or something like that, or a Taekwondo tour or whatever, for her to have to feel like she literally had to split herself in half to, to have those relationships is so heartbreaking. And I think that that's where people miss the boat too. It's not, It's And that's where where I operate from, too. It's nothing to do with me. This has to do about what your responsibility is as a parent, at least how I see it, is to raise a person who can go out and be a really good person in the Mm -hmm. world to other people. And how can you how can you foster and facilitate that when you're really expecting them to crack themselves into two pieces and because you can't figure out how to embrace the bottom, like minimum standard of
1: severity, <laughs>
0: right. I know it's
1: true. It's that's true. what we
0: deal with every single day
1: and is the parent
0: that chose to just get stuck in their feelings and yeah. that fear or whatever story they're telling themselves about why the child
1: can't see the other parent and, and how that narrative is dying. more
0: important, yeah, somehow.
1: Somehow. Yeah. I always remind people, you know, listen, the child didn't choose, although I don't necessarily believe that I actually do believe children choose their parents um, to clean up family lineage and whatever the story is, and they have soul contracts. And at the same time, once they're here, they're um, a clean slate. And and it's our responsibility as the parents to heal the family trauma, right? To transform the situation. And um, they're not choosing to be split. We're, we're creating a scenario where we're, where the child has no choice. They have to split and, um, or we can integrate, right. And we can teach the child to integrate. And, um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to ask you a question. Um, there's, this story about your conception and your father and, you know, being a product of rape and abuse and yada, yada. And um I'm curious how you've integrated this into your being and because of that's your dad. And his DNA runs through your, your body, half of who you are. And I'm curious. So I'm just going to go right for the, you know, jugular because that's what I do. Um, I'm curious, Alyssa, how, and you know, if, and how you've integrated those bits of you, um, into you and owned that and embrace that and love that part of you unconditionally. Including your dad, right? Who's no longer here, but but his spirit lives on through you. Because w- regardless of how he is and was and did and da da da, you are that is part of who you are, and he does live on through you. So I'm curious. Yes.
2: Yeah, so one thing the way the way I found out finding out that I was a product of rape was actually very liberating
1: because
2: hmm. I didn't find that out until later, much later in life and what it did for me is it helped me recognize and acknowledge and understand why he couldn't have a relationship with me mm. because i am probably the si- i was always the single most representative thing of shame for him mm. um he was a drunk and i believe he did what he did in a drunken stupor mm-hmm. and to find out that you violated your wife and conceived a child probably had to be a tremendously overwhelming, shameful thing for him to have to live with. Mm-hmm. And to know that the product of that one act is walking the earth was probably an overwhelming. I just can't imagine the shame and guilt that rode with him for that. And it mm-hmm. explains so much of his toxic behavior. And I don't know this, but this is what I choose Okay. To it. glean from that. Yeah, so what scary. I've taken from that mm-hmm. is that the capacity to feel shame and guilt is, is very alive and strong in this spirit. It's mm-hmm. very alive and strong in who he was. And I don't think that's a bad thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So what I have done is worked really hard in how I live transparently, how I live with integrity and how I deal with my own shame Mm. and guilt over things and mistakes I've made and not let that turn into something that cripples me from having positive relationships with people and, and facilitates me to be able to help people and be more intuitive and understanding because I'm so sensitive mm-hmm. to people's feelings of shame that it really helps, helps me mm. Help them understand what the next right step should be. And it's usually forgiving yourself for screwing something up and taking the (laughs) next right step to move on so that you can do so you can be productive and, 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 and forgive yourself, honestly. So learning that in the last probably five years has been foundationally representative of any bit of transformation I've been able to make as a human being.
1: Awesome. So let me see if I can frame it up. What I heard <laughs> you say, because I, I want the audience to really get this, is that you've integrated the shame and the guilt from a place of understanding that everybody makes mistakes and nobody's perfect. And that the paralyzation that shame and guilt have in a human's life holds us stuck in story and addiction and all the things that we do to, to cover up our, the lowest vibration of fear, which is shame we make. Yeah. It's, and those are the like, Shame and guilt are are the most paralyzing, you know, manifestations of fear in the human consciousness. And if you can't Mm -hmm. escalate out of that. And so in that understanding, you've integrated the shame and you've integrated the guilt and you've shifted from where you were and and even the stupid things that you've done, because we all do stupid shit Mm -hmm. to living life of transparency, which we talk about this all the time, don't we, Sal, where I'm like, listen, just be transparent. It, You know, I'm going to share and share and share and be transparent with you. And you may not like it, but that is, and that is how I choose to live my life. And it makes um, people uncomfortable. It does make people people
2: uncomfortable because if they've not confronted their own shit, having someone else just put it out there is is ultimate accountability. Yes. Because it's like, oh, I've, I've not dealt with that. So it makes people really uncomfortable. Well, but it's not just the transparency. It's the empathy and the transparency, too, because yes. I know how that
1: feels. Right. It's really being beyond empathy. It's being in the container of compassion. Right. Yes. So empathy is I feel where you are feeling right now. I feel that, too. I've been there. And compassion says I hear what you're saying and I understand and I'm in a hold the container for you to swirl around like the Tasmanian devil and project (laughs) all your bullshit onto me. And I'm not going to take it personally because it's not my shit. Like your dad, (laughs) right? You'd see your dad and I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to, I love you dad even though these things happened, I love you anyway. I love you despite yourself, which is just a manifestation of I love myself, right? That you can reflect this back and I can hold the compassionate container. And I love you anyway. It's okay, is now, what I I'm see that there transfer. not there yet. Okay, you're right. on your way well, I'm there. At least, I'm at
2: least in a space where I can understand that's the where con- those that's feelings
1: the, were. Uh-huh. But I'm not there. You'll get there. I can see you, Alyssa. Like, <laughs> it's just a journey. You'll get there. And when you're there, that 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 container is um, it's so fluid. Right. It's <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, It's the place of no thingness. Sal, it's like what the training was this last weekend of holding this space. And when you get to that space, Alyssa, and you're, you're, you're there, you just haven't embraced it. And, um, and when you do the, um, she disappeared the magic of the next elevation, the next vibration of empathy, of, of compassion is like, so freeing. So you've gone from where you were to where you are today, which I'm super excited about. And I, I can't wait to have you on as a follow-up because I can see in your journey.
0: There's your, so much we didn't even talk about.
1: Yeah. I know there's so much we didn't <laughs> even talk for hours and, and, um, and I thank you for humoring me and feeding into my selfish desire to hear your journey. I didn't know all of those things. And it's exciting to, see the magnificence of you and to embrace your light and to see you embracing your light and, and, As you integrate these other parts of your family, of your lineage, of your dad, and really standing in your power, there's so much more I I can see already that will be unfolding. And you and I have had a few text exchanges about that. So I don't want to share. I don't want to. I'm not going to spoiler alert it, but spoiler alert. There's something really cool that's being born out of Alyssa that, um, when you finish that, as you go through that, um, the unraveling and then the weaving of the blanket, if you will, the fabric of your family story and the transformation i think that's on the other other side of that as you're as you're creating this beautiful magnificent tapestry is um really juicy love and i am super excited because <laughs> you're you're there you just you just it's this one little tweak that you'll make where you be like oh that's what that's what that is so um i thank you so much thank you for letting me poke a little bit and um, <laughs> you know watch your spirit come forward and sharing sal sorry you hardly got any words in edgewise but that's what happens when you get a couple of powerful women on i got the, seven <laughs> yeah, yeah you got seven words that's it I'm that's fine. yeah you get it you get a couple of big energy um mama's on the on the call and or on the podcast and he's like but it's a, i want to can i just i want to have there's a Sorry. So, um, so I want to say from the bottom of my heart, selfishly, thank you, Alyssa. I was like, yeah, let's get Alyssa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, (laughs) um, I appreciate you sharing this. I I know that our listeners and I know a lot of the people that follow me on social media and stuff, listen to this podcast. And I know some of my clients and I know people that could easily and have tumbled down the pathogenic path of their family lineage to say, I'm going to justify my behavior. I'm going to do it this way. And it's not even possible for me to co-parent with somebody I don't like and yada, blah, blah, yada, yada. Yada. And so I just want to say thank you for really being a pillar in our community of strength and really showing people that not only can you do it, you do it, and you keep elevating every step of the way. So I just want to honor you. Thank you. There's no option to do it
2: any different. And I and you know, I I think about it. Well, there is. There is an option to do it different It's just not works. It doesn't work. And that's gonna be my next point. I have yeah. a sister who's dead. Right. Because she couldn't break out of it. She didn't. She right. continued the cycle of addiction. She continued the cycle of everything. Mm-hmm. She was thrown lifelines and it was too late. And now, and she died at the age of like 47. Wow. And left behind several children and left behind. Mm a lot of emptiness too, because she had, she never got out of it. So listen, it comes with um, an overwhelming sense of gratitude that I had my mom Mm -hmm. to be different than that. So that I had a different um, perspective to kind Mm -hmm. of look at things from, but also recognizing when you don't find a way to step out and above and move on, Your life could easily end up that way. I wasn't far. Yeah, like like people like people are like, "Oh, you're so completely different than your sister was." Was I? (laughs) Was I really that far? Probably not. I was one
1: hairline fucked up choice away (laughs) from having that life. Right. Yeah.
0: We'll have to continue the conversation, Alyssa, so we can talk about some of the other beautiful things that have come out of your journey. Especially with Ron, uh, some of the fun that you you guys have had to had together in your fitness journey and wellness, and it's a whole other podcast, a whole other show, a whole other show. Yeah, cannot wait. But thank you. You know, just to echo Dorsey's sentiment, that you made such conscious decisions Mm -hmm. to do it different. It's amazing, and I wish more parents followed your lead, and they will.
1: They will. They will. I'm Dorsey Pruder.
0: I'm Sal DiGuardia. taking you from where you are right now to where you want to be. This is Rebuilding Me. We'll see you next week.
1: Thanks again, Alyssa.
0: New episodes every Friday. Thank you for listening to Rebuilding Me.